Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue with our reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're still in the beginning section. The beginning section of the Paramatma Sandarbha deals with the nature of Paramatma himself. We're in the 13th Anacheda up through the 18th Anacheda, the first 18 Anachedas or sections of the Paramatma Sandarbha deal with the nature of Paramatma and in his and his manifestations within the material cosmos. So both his manifestations as the Purusha or the manifester of the material cosmos and then his entering into that cosmos to sustain it and to provide the mechanism of the entire affair of material manifestation. The next section of this Paramatma Sandarbha will deal with the nature of the Jiva, another manifestation from Paramatma, of the Tatasta Shakti of the Supreme Lord, his marginal potency. And then the final section of the, next to the final section, a large section of the Paramatma Sandarbha is going to deal with the manifestation of the material, of Maya, of the material energy and how it functions uh, as one of one of the separated shaktis of the supreme always staying somewhat separated from him uh, directly and then the very end of the paramatma sandarbha ties back into the nature of the supreme lord himself bhagavan and that that ends the section, these first three Sandarbhas that centers on the Vedanti Tat Tattva Vidas verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. That these manifestations, Brahmati, Paramatmati, and Bhagavaniti Sabjate, uh, will be of, be covered in these first three Sandarbhas. Then Jiva Goswami will proceed to give us the Krishna Sandarbha, which really outlines the nature of the Lord in his most, in all of his completeness as Bhagavan Sri Krishna, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, of all the various manifestations of the Supreme Lord, this manifestation is the original source. And then the details of that manifestation will be given in the Krishna Sandarbha. When we finish with the Krishna Sandarbha, that will comprise the first four Sandarbhas of the Sat Sandarbhas, the six Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami. And those first four deal with Sambandha Yan, knowledge of the interrelationship of the Supreme with his various uh, manifestations and shaktis. Then Jiva will go into the fifth Sandarbha, which deals with Abhideya. It's called the Bhakti Sandarbha. What can 
we do besides simply acquiring knowledge there's also other practices which the jiva can take up which will greatly assist him in ending all material misery and actually attaining uh, a loving relationship in bhakti with the Supreme Lord. And we touched upon this in the last class that this is the, actually the fifth goal of human existence. Uh, the first four is primarily what the Vedas deal with. Artha, Dhamma, Kama, and Moksha. Economic development, advancement in religiosity, Dharma, becoming a good person, Kama, and enjoying sense gratification, and then finally, if we're so fortunate to see beyond those three artas or human attainments, uh, we may see that there's some value in separating ourselves from the economy of the world, which some days we're wealthy and then some days we're poor. There's nothing we can do about that. We can strive for wealth. We can strive for, you know, Artha, economic advancement. But the nature of the world is if there's somebody that has, there's somebody that doesn't have. There are the haves and the have-nots. And material existence, its secular nature, puts us on both sides of that equation as we march through time in material existence. We always would like to be on the have side, but sometimes we have nothing. So Artha Dharma, Dharma, the, the pursuit of, of uh, well-being through, through good acts. And then uh, Kama, well, everybody wants, would rather enjoy than suffer. We'll take the enjoyment anytime we can get, or it, get it, but when the suffering comes, we would like to avoid that. So, so karma is there. So those three basically constitute the material side of things. And then we become frustrated with that, and we want freedom from that. And that is referred to as moksha, liberation. i got to get out of this place if it's the last thing we ever do. <laughs> Let us, uh, you know, set aside all that and uh, put an end to it. So then the, the Bhakti Siddharva deals with the attainment of something well beyond simply moksha or putting an end to that sufferings of uh, the other uh, three Purusharthas, well, four, Artha, Dharma, Karma, Moksha, and then we have Bhakti. So we touched in the last class on the fact that if you can worship even Vishnu, if you worship Vishnu as the Supreme, then you can attain Bhakti, and that's higher than Moksha. So depending what, the primarily 
the primarily, I'm sorry, primary thing that we covered is in the last discourse was this having the right conceptual orientation even relation to the guna, you know, the guna avatars. How you approach them determines what your outcome is. So of all those, if you can see them as transcendental personalities, whether it be Brahma or Shiva or Vishnu, if you see them simply as representing the material gunas, then that kind of seeing, that conceptual visualization, that conceptualizing of them as simply upadis, as, as powerful personalities covered or influenced by the modes of material nature that they preside over. If you simply see them in that regard, as far as Brahma and Shiva goes, then the result will be a material result. Distressful or uh, it, it just it it'll end in 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 material miseries basically because and we saw we used the example of Hiranyakasipu and his worship of of Brahma the Creator. He wanted it all, but he he was conceiving of Brahma not. Well, he was conceiving of him as the Supreme Lord of the universe. So there's some, we had some discussion regarding how, how his seeing would influence the outcome of what he received. And ultimately, even though he did his best to get the best outcome of eternity and complete, well, I'm immortal. Brahma couldn't give him immortality because Brahma, if seen as simply a representative of the creative function within a universe, in that function, the creation at some time is wrapped up. So Brahma is not eternal in that regard. And he told Hiranyakasipu as much, I can't give you what I don't have. You're conceiving of me as the, mas the, the master of the universe, but, well, I have a master. And th this is the place, this is Mrityaloka, everyone here dies. But this other conception, Jiva goes on in the Anucheta to give us this other conception that if we see the, even the Guna avatars as as representatives of the Supreme Lord and in their execution of service to him, that's a higher vision. And that even in worship of Brahma and Shiva can, re can take one to moksha. Although Vishnu is the only personality of the three that can give liberation, conceiving of them as servant of Vishnu, as, as part of Paramatma, as, as the three of them together are that one personality of Godhead 
functioning differently uh, within the material modes of nature, uh, then even liberation is, is available. But the proper conception has to be there. And the ultimate conception, as Jiva points out, and if you see Vishnu and worship Vishnu as the supreme, free of any ad... Well, first, if you worship him as if he's also has the apati of sattva goon. If you worship him that way, well, the outcomes that you receive will be... Pleasing. Huh? Pleasing. They'll be pleasing because the mode of goodness is pleasing. And if you worship him, and, and you can even receive liberation from Vishnu, moksha, even if you have, do not have the conception of him as the supreme personality, you can still receive liberation. But if you see him as the supreme personality of Godhead, if you see him as the supreme, you can attain that fifth <clears throat> item, bhakti. So we're continuing to tonight. And as I said, we'll, there's another five anuchetas here, which will, there's a lot of pounding of the post by Jiva here. A lot of that has to do with the culture, with the Indian culture, the day when he was presenting his Sundarbas. There was a lot, a lot of equating Shiva with the Supreme. So he deals with that here. And a lot of viewing the Guna avatars as, as basically independent controllers, equally independent and supreme in relationship to their functions within the material universe. So Jiva deals with that and there's a lot of apparent repetition here where he really pounds the post to get the point across. This is not the proper conception. Shiva is not the supreme. So that's, that's the primary thing. Not many take Brahma as the supreme, but some do in that culture and at that time. So we'll, 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 Jiva will go at this from a, a few different angles and present very various praman or scriptural evidences to fortify the arguments that he makes that in the ultimate issue, Vishnu of the three Guna avatars is the supreme. And he's free of any touch with the material energy. So Anacheta 13, the Purusha is directly manifest only as Vishnu. 
Purusha here meaning the creator. So we'll see that this, this point is, is fortified repeatedly that when you look at the Guna avatars or those avatars that control the three modes of material nature, goodness and passion and ignorance, uh, you have to understand that the Vishnu manifestation of the Supreme is equivalent to the Purusha or the creator of the material manifestation the Supreme Lord. And any so that that point apparently really needed to be emphasized uh, by Jiva according to his the, the culture of the day. So Jiva says in the thirteenth Anacheta himself, those whose minds have be, been persuaded by the above statement about the oneness of the three guna avatars quarrel with those who assert that Vishnu is supreme among the three gods. So apparently Vishnu's, I mean, Jiva's pointing out there's an argument here. They quarrel with those people that are the Vaishnavs. To them, we say the following, to those that simply want to quarrel. Although this hierarchy of relative superiority or inferiority of these deities is made only in relation to the respective posts, the presiding deity is the supreme Purusha, para Purusha Eka, who is only one since no distinction is possible in him. Vedanti tat tat bhavidas janam advayam that one non-dual substance. The statement of non-distinction is true, nevertheless. The gradation is indeed unavoidable because of the recognition of the relative superiority or inferiority of these gods due to their being either direct or indirect manifestations of Bhagavan. Sutta makes this point with the help of an example. Then Jiva uses as a praman or an evidentiary support, which for what he's trying to explain here is the Purusha avatars, they're all one. I've tried, I've established that. They're all manifestations of the Paramatma. But they, they are seen as closely associated with the mode of material nature that over which they preside. Um, so the, the verse from the Bhagavatam reads, just as smoke is better than wood, which is a product of the earth, and fire is superior to smoke because one can perform Vedic sacrifices with it, so Rajas is superior to Thomas, Smoke is superior to wood. Rajas is superior to Thomas. The mode of passion is superior to the mode of ignorance. And sattva, which leads to realization of the absolute, is superior to rajas. So, goodness is superior to passion. Jiva continues. Wood is a product of the earth. And thus, unlike smoke, which is 
partially made of fire and is thus unlike smoke, which is partially made of fire. From this it follows that wood is devoid of light and not directly functional in any Vedic ritual. So you don't simply take wood to a Vedic sacrifice. It, you take it there, but until it's actually ignited, it really is not used. It's not offered in that state. So better than wood used to kindle the sacrificial fire is the smoke itself, which being partly made of fire <clears throat> can be called trimaya because it has comparatively greater utility in the Vedic rituals. Furthermore, superior even to smoke is the fire itself, since this is directly the element in which the Vedic sacrifices are performed. So Jiva is simply unpacking this verse and explaining it to us so that we can understand fully the point that he's trying to establish. In this way, better than Thomas, ignorance, which is compared to wood in this analogy, and is far removed from Sattvagun, is Rajas, which is compared to smoke, and being a little closer to Sattva, leads to Brahman realization. This signifies that Rajas is a gateway to the disclosure of the Purusha. Now Jiva's going to explain this. Well, smoke doesn't seem like it would do what how can how can rajas be at all beneficial when one's <laughs> looking for real realization of brahman and jiva explains how it 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 does come into play this signifies that Rajas is the gateway to the disclosure of the Purusha, who is the source of these three Guna avatars and is compared to the Vedic ritual in the analogy. The word but, too, following Tamasa in the verse, indicates that in contrast to Thomas, which is of the nature of stupor, Laya, Rajas is said to be merely is said to be merely in closer proximity to something a little akin to Brahman realization. This is so in the sense that, though its being the cause of conditional knowledge, Rajas manifests but the outer glow of some inkling of Bhagavan's attributes. Again, back to the, back to the analogy. The mode of Passion, Jiva's saying here, manifests but the outer glow of some inkling of Bhagavan's attributes. Yet it cannot lead to complete realization of the Absolute, since it is a source of distraction and disturbance, fixepa. As to sattva, which is analogous to fire, in this example, it is direct realization of Brahman. It is directly and properly the gateway to the appearance of the qualities and form of the Absolute because its nature is inherently peaceful and pure. 
Therefore, it is concluded that the Absolute is only indirectly manifest in the forms of Brahma and Shiva, but directly as Sri Vishnu. So one would say, well, how does Rajas, how does the mode of the mode of passion, which simply leads to what? Bewilderment. Um, how, how can it be at all beneficial to revelation of, of, of Brahman, spiritual revelation? And the answer is that there has to be some action to attain Brahman realization. Well, action in it, rajas, passion, is that action. So that little bit of action added to the knowledge, the illuminating knowledge of sattva allows one to advance to that Brahman realization as used in this analogy. But action alone is not enough. Just acting without knowledge, what's that going to get you? So it, it has to be combined. That smoke has to be combined with the fire uh, to actually be of any benefit. By itself, speaking of Rajas, its characteristic of viksepa, bewilderment, gives rise to disruption and turmoil. Sattva is necessary for successful attainment of Brahman realization. Jiva Goswami goes on to give a couple more scriptural supports for the point he's trying to make here. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva are the three forms of the Supreme Self, Vishnu. So now he's equating them. Bhagavan Janardhan, whose own form is that of Vishnu, though situated in Brahma, in the form of Brahma, and Shiva in the form of Shiva, is established exclusively in his own independent form. This is a verse from the Vamana Purana. This is elaborated on in the Brahma Samhita. And we see from these verses why the Brahma Samhita is so dear to the Vaishnavas from the way it, it explains these things. And that I worship the primeval person, Govinda, who manifests his power in Brahma as the creator of the universal egg just as the sun projects a fragment of its own effulgence into the sun crystals, which magnify a portion of its rays. This, seemed, this is a different, little different English translation of, of this verse from the Brahma Samhita. It also attributes the manifestation of the universal shell to Brahma. Uh, the way it's been translated here. Who manifests his power, Govinda manifests his power in Brahma as a creator of the universal egg. Generally, we attribute that to, well, 
Karna Dakshai Vishnu, those you know, those universal eggs coming out. So that's the uh, 49th verse of the 5th chapter of the Brahma Samhita. He goes on to quote the 45th and the 46th. Just as milk turns into yogurt through contact with a catalytic agent, so Bhagavan assumes the form of Sambhu for a specific purpose, and yet that form of Sambhu is in no way distinct from its originating cause. I worship that primeval person, Govinda. So here we see this closeness, the way these verses have been presented, the closeness in the fact that these are simply manifestations of the Supreme. One's looked at like a limb, and one's looked at like a Shakti or Shaktavish. Avesh of the Supreme Lord, Brahma. Goes on quoting, I worship him, the primeval person, Govinda, who manifests as Vishnu in the same way as the flame of one lamp is transferred to another wick, which then continues to illuminate exactly as the one from which it was lit. So now we're speaking about the Vishnu manifestation having the same. You cannot tell the difference. You cannot distinguish yourself from your vantage point unless you have knowledge that one lit the other. You wouldn't be able to tell that there was any distinction. And there is no distinction. They were equally the same supreme personality with the same characteristics and potencies. Jiva goes on and he explains himself. The above example of yogurt should not lead us to conclude that Bhagavan undergoes any modification. Because this has been repeatedly negated in accordance with the following principle. Then he gives a verse from the Vedanta Sutra. But on the authority of the Vedas, Brahma undergoes no such change. Brahman undergoes no such change, I'm sorry. And this is to be accepted because it is solely on the basis of revealed sound that Brahman is to be known. As is also stated in the prayers of the Shrutis, this is from the 10th canto, prayers of the personified Vedas, the universe, quote, the universe emanates from and is dissolved back into the absolute, who remains unchanged just as earthen pots are made out of and merge back into clay. The following conclusion can be drawn. In order for these three examples, in the first, Bhagavan, who is compared to the sun, is partially manifested in the form of Brahma, who is compared to a sun crystal, Surya Kanta. In the second, there is no such manifestation of Bhagavan, who is compared to milk, projected into the form of Sambhu, who is compared to yogurt, 
as milk is not pres present as such in yogurt. In the third example, however, Bhagavan is fully manifest in the form of Vishnu, who is compared to another wick. So Jiva here is, is using these three verses from the Brahma Samhita to show the respective uh, positions of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So Vishnu is compared to milk and Shiva to yoga, a modification of milk. So one would naturally question, well, that means that the Supreme is modified. We then that's not that's not there supported by scripture. There's no modification. So how does this come about? And the analogy is there as of the Shintamani stone. The Shintamani stone can change iron into gold. We've never seen a Shintamani stone, so one would question, well, this isn't something that exists in, uh, you know, in our central realm. Although I, I wish one did exist <laughs> at times. It doesn't exist. So what about these kind of examples? So there's a nice footnote in this regard, um, which I'd like to share with you, which gives us some insight into this, these kind of examples that are provided you know, in this rich culture of the Vedic presentation. So the footnote reads as follows, the Chintamani uh, thought jewel, thought jewel, is a magical gem that transforms whatever it touches into gold and whatever else one may wish for. So it's, that's definitely wishful thinking, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Though the existence of such gems is evidently not scientific or an empirically verified reality, it is a metaphor that conveys a particular idea. In this case, that of transforming without being transformed. Our common experience is transforming one thing transforms into another. The seed transforms into the sprout, which transforms into the plant, which transforms again into bearing flowers, which produce fruits. So one thing is transforming. And again, within the fruit, what do we have? We have the seed again. So, but a particular, it, con it conveys the idea. What else, what other analogy could be given to the fact that Shiva can be seen as a transformation of the milk which is the supreme without changing itself. Milk becoming yogurt. 
by a catalyst. It is not meant to be taken literally, these kinds of examples. Every language has its peculiarities. And problems arise when we translate culture-specific ideas into a completely foreign language. In Sanskrit, such things are called Kavi Prasiddhi. Kavi Prasiddhi. Or po- poetic testimony. Like a Kavi Raj. Somebody that has a great deal of knowledge. So this, this is a nice terminology. Kavi Prasiddhi. A perfection of, of, a, of a poetic presentation to make a theological point. Or poetic testimony, which requires no other proof. Some other examples of the ability is the ability of a swan to separate milk from water. It's a poetic license. Or the Ahsoka tree. I hadn't heard this one. It's nice which is said to bloom only when kicked by a beautiful damsel. (laughs) (laughs) So in this way, we can look to this explanation of Shiva, Shiva, in relationship to uh, the Supreme. Now we see that Shiva is often, especially in, in... Indian culture considered the supreme. But if we look to the characteristics of Shiva and Vishnu, they're exactly opposite. Vishnu is seen to represent the mode of goodness and Shiva the mode of ignorance. But there are as many Shiva temples as Vishnu temples. Well, why is that? Well, Shiva is known to be very kind to his devotees. And his kindness is, if you want something, he'll readily give it. Even if it's sometimes not (laughs) in your best interest. He's even been known to give benedictions that aren't in his best interest to his devotees. (laughs) I forget the individual, anybody, who was given the benediction that if you simply... Rikka. 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 Rikkasura. Rikkasura. Yeah. So he worshipped Shiva for the benediction that whoever's head I touch will fall off. Shiva said, okay. <laughs> he said, okay, let's start with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Does it really work? Uh, you're right here in front of me. Let me try it here. <laughs> Luckily, Krishna came and uh, saved Shiva from his own foolishness and awarding such a benediction to his, uh, his worshiper. So that more or less wraps up this 13th Anucheda, which gives us 
some insight into the Guna avatars and uh, how they should be viewed. And remember, all this, all this presentation of the Sundarbhas by Srila Jiva Goswami is to give us insight into the basic truths presented in the Bhagavad Purana. So it's simply, it's a, it's a supporting, it's fully in support of what's, and it's an elaboration, an extended commentary of the tattvas, the various spiritual truths that are contained within the Bhagavatam. Jiva's taking them out and systematically presenting them to us so that we can have a deep and meaningful and complete understanding of this Bhagavat Purana, which is the topmost, well, it's Krishna. What's, what's that verse? When Krishna left the planet, this Bhagavat Purana now is here uh, as truly a literary incarnation of Krishna himself. So all these various truths, if we look at, if we, if, if we always keep that central idea in mind, that really this is what Jiva is doing for us. He is extracting from the Bhagavad Purana the essence of the various tattvas so that we can have a, a complete and, and comprehensive understanding of what's being presented there, an understanding which on our own, without the guidance of the Acharyas, we probably would not be able to, well, he's like the milk machine. He's, he's taking the essence, the cream, the cream of the Bhagavat Purana, and he's, he's milking that for us and presenting it to us in so many digestible, milk-sweet forms, mm -hmm. although sometimes it seems a little terse, like this Paramatma Sandarbha. It's a little difficult to understand, but if we take the time and, and get the essence, if we can just come away from these readings of Jiva's Sandarbhas, understanding the essence of these tattvas, how much, how much beneficial that will be to our spiritual uh, advancement. So we'll stop here and we'll continue to the 14th Anucheta in the next discussion. Did you say there's only 18 Anuchetas? There's only 18 Anuchetas that deal directly with the Paramatma manifestation in this Sandarbha. Then, the, then it goes to the second section, which deals with Tatasta Shakti. Oh, okay. And then the third section, Bahiranga Shakti, the material. So in this Sandarbha, we're talking about the cosmic manifestation. And first we're talking about Paramatma manifesting and entering and regulating 
the material manifestation than the jivas who are regulated, regulated but they're also part of Paramatma. They are infinitesimal, fragmental particles of that personality of Godhead, Paramatma, within the material universe. And then the Bahiranga Shakti is, well, that bewildering Shakti that they find themselves in. So that all three things are covered here in this Paramatma Sandarbha, all of them dealing with the cosmic manifestation of the Supreme. Any questions, additions? Uh, you, uh, you were talking about the, the Rajas, and you said that Rajas is a gateway to uh, disclosure of the Purusha because it. Brahman. Of Brahman. Yeah. Because um, it leads. Because it, it, it causes action, and without action, you can't. There has to be some Somebody action. has to light the sacrificial right. fire. So you need, there's some there's some work involved. Right. So, but then you said, but action alone is not enough. And then Correct. I, and then I didn't catch what the, what the thing I needed was. Knowledge. Knowledge. Yeah, okay. which is sattva. Thomas isn't even helpful here okay. in, in, in Brahman realization. Is, is what is being, is what jiva has brought out of the verse, the Bhagavatam verse, which giving which gives this analogy of of smoke, wood, smoke, and fire. Right, yeah. So the smoke is somewhat helpful, meaning that Rajas is somewhat helpful in that, well, for sacrifice, yeah. a knowledge knowledge is is illuminating. Mm-hmm. So okay. but there has to be a little action. You have to get up and do something. You got to read. Yeah. You got to light the f- sacrificial fire. Yeah. So a little a little action goes to help the knowledge of sattva illuminate the intelligence, illuminate our intelligence spiritually. All right. Well, thank you very much for your association. Thank you.